Thank you so much for tuning in to the One Thing Podcast. Today's episode is focusing on polycystic ovarian syndrome, otherwise known as PCOS, with our special guest, Dr. Shannon Hurst, a naturopathic physician in the Woodenville, Washington area. When someone sees a person with weight gain or acne or maybe some hair loss, they might think that person's letting things go. They're not trying hard enough on their health. They don't care. But what they might not realize is that this person might be dealing with a serious hormone imbalance that makes things just not work the way they used to. It makes the body behave in unpredictable ways. And this hormone balance may be quite puzzling and confusing. This is the situation that people who are suffering with PCOS face. In today's episode, we will dive into polycystic ovarian syndrome and this underlying hormone balance and maybe what we can do to bring balance and restore health to people suffering from PCOS. What's up everybody? I'm Dr. Adam Rindy. I am the host of the One Thing podcast. We bring together the experts in the integrative health and integrative medicine field to discuss different health topics. We have a special emphasis on gut health, inflammation, metabolic health, and emotional health. Today's guest, Dr. Shannon Hurst, is a practicing clinician in the Winfield, Washington area, which is outside of Seattle. You can learn more about her on her Twitter at Dr. Hurst, is her handle, handle at D-R-H-I-R-S-T. A little bit more about Dr. Hurst. She did a doctorate in naturopathic medicine from Bastyr University. She has also a bachelor's in science in cellular and molecular biology from Western Washington University. She has a very diverse clinical and research background. She did go on to do a residency in family medicine at the Baxter Center for Natural Health. She's quite bright. She's got a great sense of humor. I really enjoy speaking with her. In this episode, we'll dive into PCOS, its underlying process, and some of the treatment approaches that we may be able to do with PCOS. Listen in as we get into the episode. Dr. Hurst, welcome to the show. Hi, Dr. Rindy. It's nice to be here. Yes, it's great. It was good catching up with you uh, yeah. before we started the episode. It's been a while, and I always enjoy speaking with you. Today, we were talking that the you know, main focus of our conversation is going to be polycystic ovarian syndrome. Yes. So before we, yeah. So before we get into that, can you just share with us a little bit about your practice and anything else that you'd like to share? Sure. I am. So I am in practice in Woodenville, Washington, and I do primarily women's health issues here. And I just do basic naturopathic, nothing too fancy. I'm just in private practice here with myself. There's another provider here, Dr. Blasey. She's a naturopath and also an acupuncturist. Great. And you have a special interest in polycystic ovarian syndrome. And what led you to this interest? Yes. So uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome is often just abbreviated as PCOS. And a lot of people will know it as PCOS. And I would argue that PCOS found me. Um, Like a lot of people in healthcare, we see a lot of PCOS because many women have it. It's very prevalent. And initially, 
I became interested because I was hearing all these stories of the wide varieties of the ways women were being diagnosed. And it seemed to be really roundabout. I think um, most women go to an average of like three doctors with symptoms before they can get diagnosed. And so that can be really confusing. And then once diagnosis is made, sometimes it's followed by kind of an equally confusing path of treatment. And this seemed like a challenge to me that I would want to take up. So, and then also my experience with women's with women with PCOS um, is that they're often incredibly knowledgeable about diet and exercise, which are some of the strategies to treat it, but they struggle with results. And it just felt really important to me um, to get to know more, to see if I could be more useful mm-hmm. to these patients. So backing up a little bit, um, when, can you tell us just a little bit of background information that what you think is pertinent um, to know for about PCOS and some of the things from a, what the patient is experiencing when they hear this diagnosis? Sure. Yeah. And let's, so let's kind of define it. So PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, in the, in the female population, it's about five to 10% um, prevalence there. I, I think most people would think it was closer to 10%. And this is the world population. So a lot of different disorders we say, oh, you know, in, in this part of the world, it's this percentage in this part of the world, it's this percentage, or it does not exist anywhere but here. And in, with PCOS, it's, it's a similar percentage all over the world. So this is a lot of, of women. And it's in sort of an odd name for a syndrome that's basically at its heart, a metabolic disorder, primarily around insulin and, um, and then subsequently sugar metabolism. And in these women, their hormones are affected by these processes. And the name will throw people because I have a lot of patients who will say, I've had trouble with ovarian cysts, specifically, do I have PCOS? And I usually say, they're not the same. Um, You can have ovarian cysts and polycystic ovarian syndrome, but they are processes. Mm -hmm. So then you say, well, then why do you call this polycystic ovarian syndrome? And um, it's because in some of the diagnostic criteria, there are certain features on ultrasound that will show that you have polycystic ovaries, um, but it's not always the case. Yes. So back to your, one of your original points that makes the diagnosis more challenging because there's so many different criteria that are proposed. Yes. Ultimately, what's it come down to in your opinion? Um, is, it, is it hard to well down to a certain set of parameters to diagnose PCOS or is it, is it sometimes just a clinical judgment call? Well, in some ways it's sort of a diagnosis of exclusion, but there is an underlying pathology that is consistent. So it is definitely its own issue. First of mm-hmm. all, there are some other disorders that look like it that need to be ruled out. So those are pituitary issues, adrenal issues, thyroid issues. Once those are ruled out, and there, it turns out it's none of those, then you end up with these three diagnostic criteria of which you only need two to be, to be diagnosed with PCOS. The first possibility is this infrequent or lack of ovulation. Women will often experience this in, in the form of infertility or irregular periods. Then mm-hmm. um, the other possibility 
is that you have elevated androgens and androgens are testosterone like hormones. Mm -hmm. And this will often result in women experiencing things like excess facial hair or head hair loss and um, cystic acne. And then the third possibility that you only need two, so this may or may not be present, would be the polycystic ovaries on ultrasound. And these are ovaries where the follicles, which normally contain the the um, egg that will ovulate the next month, are regressed. So they're in a sort of state of suspended animation, and they're just small cysts as opposed to the the larger cysts we think of when we think of traditional ovarian cysts. Mm-hmm. So when, what is this like for a woman getting this diagnosis? Like, what is the typical experience hearing this type of news? Well, I think it's confusing because I think that what, what you hear first is that you have polycystic ovarian syndrome and that you need to go on birth control pill. And, and, that, and then I think women go home and they research it on the internet and they see infertility and all these kind of things. And, and I think it's confusing. And I'm not sure that the underlying issues that go, that are driving it are always explained. And so then I think women kind of just end up, as you say, kind of feeling out there alone, wondering, well, what am I supposed to do? And do I have any control over it at all? And, and then let's back up. So let's back up about um, and kind of differentiate between why healthcare providers are worried about this and why it's important to make the diagnosis and then what patients are kind of experiencing too. And as we diagnose PCOS, why does it matter to us as healthcare providers? And um, I think one, it's this substantial percentage of the female population. And so this is a lot of women. And then two, because the underlying issue is metabolism and specifically like insulin and blood sugar control, as a result, this population can have increased rates of type two diabetes, high cholesterol, obesity, potentially sleep apnea. And then that anovulation part, the lack of, of ovulating each month and that being the reason why the periods are irregular can lead us to have this potential overgrowth of uterine lining, which we're, we're concerned about because sometimes that can become precancerous. So as mm. providers, that's, what, that's sort of why we want to be really good about diagnosing it. Mm. And as patients, I think they come to, they're trying to get diagnosed because that ect- extra testosterone is giving them um, extra hair growth on the face or acne. They may be struggling mm. to get pregnant their periods are irregular and that's concerning. And I think the number one thing though, that I would hear from most of the, my PCOS patients is that they're trying to lose weight and it doesn't matter what they try, they can't do it. Mm-hmm. And so they have this metabolic block to weight loss and it's, it can be really psychologically tough. Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Given that one of the main interventions is to stabilize glucose and to re- reduce the insulin resistance, yeah, what, what, how does that work in restoring fertility and restoring um, you know, sort of healthy menstruation? And, and can you just go into that? I've always wondered so what's what's the connection. 
to the glucose in the glucose in the reproductive system. Right. When we sort of engage measures to decrease um, insulin and regulate blood sugar by increasing insulin sensitivity in our cells um, so that that system works better, then we, we help decrease that androgen projection in our ovaries. And that whole cycle will then allow a lot of the signaling to the ovary to work better. And then the more, um, the more usual hormones produced by the ovary, which are not always large amounts of testosterone. They're usually estrogen and progesterone. It allows that to cycle better. <laughs> I, th I think, and I think every time that people have looked for a specific enzyme that may be the trigger, they look for um, the pituitary um, signaling. They, I mean, every time I think they try to get too um, myopic or microscopic about the, um, the mechanism, it mm. always kind of backfires. And that when we come back to general insulin suppression and, and insulin receptor sensitivity, things improve mm -hmm. better than if they say, okay, this enzyme is responsible for this. And then if we go and we um, manipulate that enzyme, then we get we get rescue of the situation. It always ends up being better to go back to the metabolic basis mm -hmm. and have a global approach. And then that is always more impressive results. Mm -hmm. Now I'm always curious, you know, that when I, when I have patients that are dealing with PCOS, a lot of them will ask like, what, what did I do to, to develop this? Like, was it something I, some way I lived or some, Right. You know, was it? And I, th I think my my understanding is that really it's there's some genetic risk factors. And right. from a preventative standpoint, um, it's not something that is necessarily brought on by any be particular lifestyle behavior. Is that right. correct? Right. Right. And this is like a great opportunity, I think, to give a shout out to all the PCOS women out there. That, you know, I've had a lot of experience with these women and they work so hard and they track all their calories and they sustain low carb diets, work out efficiently, and um, they just don't lose weight like their friends. So all of the good behaviors are often there. And so um, I see the self-blame a lot, but I, I think these are some of the most diligent patients that I have. And it's just the genetics and the environment are kind of coming together at an odd time in our evolution. And we're, you're just running into those, running into this, this problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think it's validating and important for people to, to know because um, you know, the, the path to, if, if the PCOS is causing an obstacle to, getting pregnant, um, it, it can be a really lonely path, especially yeah. with, with the social media and the various things that people experience with, you know, people sharing baby pictures and, and their own fertility path. It's, it can be, it can be lonely for, I think people dealing with PCOS and with the fertility processes or anything special that you do or encourage with 
people who are dealing with PCOS and trying to get pregnant? Well, I, I think we always are emphasizing the diet and lifestyle um, interventions, which are sometimes the calorie calorie counting, actual calorie counting, and then the low carb diets, and then specific forms of exercise that tend to be more insulin sensitizing than others like interval training and weight training. And I think we kind of influence, um, suggest that that's a, a a great place to start. Mm -hmm. And then, um, I also think that some sort of other insulin sensitization can help. And that is either from metformin or, um, inositol is another thing we will often use. And that's myo-inositol or chironositol, which is also an insulin sensitizer and can be useful. And the loss of a very small amount of weight, so we're talking 5 to 10% um, body weight, will lead to fairly large improvements in ovulation uh, ability in, in these patients as, all, as well. Mm-hmm. So mild. I think that's, mild that's a great loss. point. Yeah, I think that's, you know, it's, it's really nice to hear you say that because I think when, if someone's just sort of just Googling what to do, they might hear, well, I need to lose weight. And that might send them into a sort of unrealistic expectation or pushing their body too hard. That, that also can be a problem with ovulation, right? Right. I think so. And, you know, it's, it, I think the weight loss ends up being a reflection of the processes it that you've undergone to get there so it's really the weight loss is very small because i think once you once you start committing to some of the exercising and some of the dietary changes that that those are the processes that are really helping not the ultimate weight number that you've dropped makes sense so before we conclude the our talk today can you just share any take-home messages that you'd like to share about pcos Sure. Um, I would say that one of the biggest take-home messages in my, for myself in my practice right now is really philosophical. And I went to a talk about PCOS recently where one of the summaries was, don't leave the patient to her own devices, keep her accountable and do weigh-ins, which I'm confident was meant to be supportive and create long-term relationship and a recipe for success. But I want to acknowledge that the PCOS patients I've worked with have been some of the most disciplined um, in terms of diet and lifestyle compliance and making great choices. And it's just the nature of the syndrome is working against them um, in getting the results for their hard work. And the best thing we can do is kind of park the judgment. And I believe a lot of these metabolic pathways at play in PCOS were functional under other potentially evolutionary circumstances, which is why they were allowed to be passed on at such a high percentage. And we just happen to be in a mismatch of genetics and environment mm-hmm. currently. So I, I don't think perpetuating adversarial relationships with women bo- women's bodies in healthcare is really anything we need to continue to do. Mm-hmm. And instead, I would hope that we could have empathy for the forces our bodies are trying to contend with and realize that our bodies are really trying to do their best and then just move forward with support and compassion for those processes. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Yeah, I, I 
Well, this has been really helpful. Um, I've learned a lot. Thank you. Um, it's, it's really good to have a framework to think about PCOS and also just some general sense of you know, what's really important. And I, I wanted to take an opportunity uh, to have the listeners learn more about your practice and anything you want to share with us about your practice, if you're accepting patients and anything else you're up to professionally. Yes. So I'm in practice in, in Woodenville in Washington, and I have a website. It's www.dr for doctor, shannonhurst.com, all one word. Um, and then our office phone is 206-618-6549 for appointments. Great. And you have a really amazing website. I've checked that out when I like refer people over to there. So it's, it's fascinating. I, I, it looks like you put a lot into that. So I did it myself and I think about it Whoa. all the time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That may, it looks, it looks great. So, well, thank you for being on today. And um, it was really good catching up with you. Thank you for having me, Adam. It's been great to talk to you. Thanks for listening to the episode on PCOS with Dr. Shanna Hurst. I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. Um, I really enjoyed my discussion with her. She uh, really opened my eyes. I think one of the things that I did not know was that the fertility parameters improve with just as little as 10 pound weight loss. So that really helped because I think there's just an unrealistic expectation of what people might need to do if they suffer from PCOS and also the fact that we have many tools to get the blood sugar under control. So hope you learned a lot. I did. Please tune into the next episode. I, I really hope you get a chance to share these episodes with your friends and followers on social media. We really want to grow our audience to help people learn more about integrative approaches to health and so that they have more tools in their tool chest to address and navigate chronic disease. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you next time.